0: Uh, I grew up in church, and uh, back when I was a kid, there was this kind of left-behind type movie where, you know, the, all these people were on an airplane, and then all of a sudden they're gone. There's a pile of clothes, and, and the seat next to them, like, ah, you know, and like, it was a great tool to scare people into the kingdom. Anyone know, ever seen a movie like that? You were afraid to be left behind? How many of you ever left behind a kid? No, don't raise your hand on that one. <laughs> I've left behind an intern, so that's okay. Uh, There are some things you know you don't want to leave behind, and then there are some things that you do. Uh, For instance, if you're going to preach on your ordination Sunday, you don't want to leave behind your dress socks, but I accidentally packed mine and shipped them to Idaho. It's all right, God's keeping me humble. If you're traveling from Louisiana to Idaho, you want to leave behind a jacket... Because it's cold as you cross Colorado and Utah and into Idaho. I forgot to leave that behind. It's waiting for me when I get there. It was just kind of a crazy day. But then there are other things you do want to leave behind, right? How many of you want to leave behind a huge inheritance for your children? How many children want to be left a huge inheritance? Amen. Amen. How many of you want to leave behind a legacy of families that have lived for for God for generation after generation after generation? Amen. Amen. How many of you want to be a part of leaving behind a a, a church that will forever be impacted by your presence in a positive way? How many of you want to leave behind a neighborhood that's never the same because you and your family live there? If you ever switch jobs or switch locations like we are, how many of you hope and pray that, Lord... When I leave, I hope I leave something good behind. Want to leave something good behind in your life? The Bible shows us how we can. You want to hear? All right, turn to 2 Kings chapter 2. And I want to speak to you this morning on preparing for your commission and embracing the anointing. Preparing for your commission and embracing the anointing. We're going to read a story of Elijah and Elisha. Two great prophets in the history of Israel. And so, uh, if you're there, Second Kings chapter 2, follow along with me as we uh, put it up there on the screen. Here we go. It says, When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were going from Gilgal. Elisha Elijah said to Elisha, Tarry here, or wait here, I pray you, for the Lord sent me to Bethel. But Elisha replied, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The prophet's sons who were at Bethel came to Elisha and said, Hey, do you know the Lord will take your master away from you today? He said, Yes, I know, but hold your peace. you got to read the Bible with some, you know, life. Elijah said to him, Elisha, tarry here I pray you, for the Lord sent me to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came to Elisha and they said, Do you know that the Lord will take your master away from you today? And he answered, Yes, I know it. Hold your peace. And Elijah said to him, Terry, here, I pray you, for the Lord sent me to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. And the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood to watch afar off, and the two of them stood by the Jordan. And Elijah took his mantle and rolled it up and struck the waters. And they divided this way and that so that the two of them went over on dry ground. And when they had gone over, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, I pray you let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. He said, You've asked a hard thing. However, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. As they still went on and talked, behold, a chariot of fire and horses of fire parted the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into pieces. He took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan And he took the mantle that fell from Elijah, and he struck the waters and said, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the waters, they parted this way and that, and Elisha went over. And when the sons of the prophets who were watching at Jericho saw him, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him. It's an amazing story, isn't it? It's pretty awesome. And... In this story, we're going to see how Elisha followed Elijah through four cities that represent four places in our lives that God wants to take us through as he prepares us to receive our commission. Pastor Todd's been doing a series on discipleship, and you cannot be discipled if you're not going to go through these four areas, these four cities, you're not going to receive your commission from God unless you go through these four things. And let me just go ahead and get ahead of myself and tell you this, that if you want to do anything great for God, you're going to go through these four places multiple times in your life, over and over and over and over again. Don't let that discourage you. That ought to actually encourage you, okay? We're going to take a look at these things. And I'm going to break this sermon into two parts. The first part, preparing for your commission. The second part, embracing your anointing. So let's look at how we prepare for our commission. First of all is this, if you're going to prepare for our commission, if we're going to prepare for our commission, we have to get rid of old mindsets today. Get rid of old mindsets today. Look at 2 Kings chapter 2 verse 1 and 2. It says, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in the whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were traveling from Gilgal, and Elijah said to Elisha, stay here for the Lord's told me to go on. Our old mindsets are represented by this city, Gilgal. The word Gilgal literally means a circle of stones or a wheel of stones. Our old mindsets can be like a circle of stones around us that, that capture us, that that keep us locked into saying, well, it's never been done that way, so we can't do it. It's never been tried before, and we can't try it. Or, this is the way we've always done it. This is the way I've always known it. This is the way I've always experienced it. And if we don't get rid of old mindsets, we'll be stuck at Gilgal encircled in stony thoughts. It's time to put an end to the hard-headed ways of man. Because as long as we're encircled by our stony thoughts, we cannot break out into the unexperienced realities of God. Matthew four seventeen. This was Jesus' message. Listen to this. He said, it says this in the Bible, from that time, Jesus began to preach crying out, repent, and what does that word mean? Change your minds for the better. Heartily amend your ways with abhorrence of your past sins, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus began his ministry by telling people, Hey, guys, girls, your mindsets are wrong. They need to be changed. Jesus continues his ministry today saying the same thing to you and I. Hey, we've got to change our mindsets about things. There's some things where the way we look at the world, the way we look at our life, the way we look at our job, our careers, church, whatever. There are some things that are circled in stones and we've got to repent. We've got to change our minds for the better. Listen, your thoughts... The way that you think about yourself, the way that you think about life, the world around
1: you, it's either a prison that penalizes you. It's either a prison that penalizes you or your thoughts are a platform that propel you. Are you being penalized or are you being propelled? Because we've got to become
0: disciples of Jesus Christ. And in order to do this, we've got to go through Gilgal. There's a commission waiting for us on the other side. And it requires us to change our thinking to kingdom thinking. So that we can be propelled into what God has for us. Isaiah 55, 6-9. This is going to be a super familiar passage of scripture once we start reading it. Listen to this, you're going to recognize it. The Bible says, Seek the Lord while you can find him and call on him now while he is near. And let the people turn from their wicked deeds. Let them banish from their minds the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. My thoughts are completely different from yours, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts Higher than your thoughts. Now what the Bible is not telling us here is that you and I will never know the ways of God. How many of you have ever read that before and that's what you heard when you read it? I've done that before. I've read that. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. And I have deciphered that God was trying to say, hey, you're going to never figure me out. You're you're never going to get on my page. That's not what God's saying. He's just saying, hey, look, the way that I think, the way that I act, the way that I look at, it's on a whole nother level than what you know. But I'm inviting you to come up here in this scripture. It's actually an invitation to step out of your circle of stones. He says, look at what he says. He says, repent. (laughs) Right. He says, he says, call on him while he's near. Turn, banish from your minds the very thought of doing wrong. Yes, turn to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Because if you turn to him, then you'll have access to his thoughts. You'll have access to how he thinks and how he looks at things. If we're to fulfill our mission for our lives, we've got to move on from Gilgal. We've got to move past our own mindsets. And you know what? We've got to do it today. Say, I'm moving on. Let's practice this again. Say, I'm moving on on today. today. Old mindsets mindsets are left at the door door today. today. Come on. This is good preaching. It's 98% better than you're speaking back to me. I'm telling you.
1: Let me ask you a couple questions here. Do your thoughts concerning your marriage need to change today? Do your thoughts concerning your family need to change? Do your thoughts concerning your employment need to change? How about this? Do our thoughts concerning church need to change?
0: Because I'm telling you what, I'm 34 years old. I've been serving the Lord die hard since I was 19. And the Lord is constantly asking me questions and challenging me on the way I think about things. Is this really the only way? Is that really the best way? Nick, is that most effective? Is this really working to get you where you want to go? Nick, he's inviting me, always saying, if you'll repent, I'll give you what you need. If you'll change your mind and accept my ways, you'll move on from Gilgal to the commission I have for you. It's always an invitation
1: from the Lord. Do our thoughts about our city need to change? Do our thoughts about ourselves need to change? What can you do to prepare for your commission today? What can you do today
0: that helps you step away from those old mindsets, that helps you move on from Gilgal? Man, go to the Love, Grow, Reach classes where you will get equipped and taught how you can step out of old mindsets and into new mindsets. We do it. Why? Because we like it? Not really. Because we, we do it because we want you guys to be empowered. We want you guys to move into the commission that God has for you. What else could you do today? What else could you do today? Today, ask ask God in a letter. Go home, write a letter and say, God, just write a little, little letter. Look, we wrote letters to Santa when we were a kid, right? Telling him what we wanted for Christmas. Why can't we write a letter to, to God
1: saying, hey, God, if you if you wanted to tell me one thing that needed to change, God, what would it be? I promise you, he'll speak to you. If, in, if instead of going
0: home to watch the game, if you just went out and sat on a rocking chair, and it's going to feel good this afternoon because of the cold front coming through, praise Jesus, that's Boise weather coming this way. I promise you, if you just went out there and sat down on a rocker and said, Lord, is there any mindset in me that needs to change? And if you just started rocking, God would direct your thoughts to things that need to change. Why? Because he has a commission for you. He wants you to move on from Gilgal. He doesn't want you encircled in stones. Here's the scary thing is, though, we're not comfortable getting alone with God. I'm, I know it. Few people are really comfortable getting alone
1: with God because it's exposing. But he's inviting us today to go to another place. This is just some ideas. You want the scariest idea?
0: I can tell you don't. Maybe I should move on. No, I'm going to give it to you because God gave it to me. You really want to know how you could move on from Gilgal? Take this most dangerous step and ask someone you trust to tell you if you have any wrong mindsets. (gasps) I don't think I'm going to get too many people signing up for that class. Listen, we've got to allow God to remove our old mindsets. We've got to allow Him to do it today. Why wait any longer? Come on, right? 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 Am I preaching that bad? Or are you guys just that scared or sad that this is my last Sunday? I mean, work with me here, people. Look, let's leave Gilgal together. Huh? Let's do it together. I'm going to drop my own mindsets. So you drop your old mindsets at the door, and we'll, we'll go out of this place different today together. Amen? All right. The second thing we need to do, if we're going to be prepared for our commission that God has for us, is this, we've got to get rooted and grounded in the house of God. Rooted and grounded in the house of God. Look at 2 Kings chapter 2. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here for the Lord's told me to go to Bethel. And Elisha said, I'm not staying at Gilgal, I'm not staying in stony thoughts. As surely as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I'll never leave you. So they went on together to Bethel. Bethel, Bethel. This word Bethel, it means the house of God. The local church is represented by Bethel. The local church, the house of God, is where we get discipled and trained in the ways of the kingdom of God. Discipleship takes place through the relationships that you and I have within the local church. I would love to tell you that when you give your life to the Lord, God like picks you up. He takes you out into like the middle of the jungle and it's just you and Jesus for like five years and he, he fixes you and does everything that you need to do and then he picks you up and he brings you back. He can put you in front of a pulpit and say, ah, and you're ready to go. But he doesn't do that. God's method is this. He says, alright, you've surrendered to me. You want to be my disciple. He puts you, he picks you up. He puts you in a local church like this. Surrounds you with a bunch of people. And says, through those relationships, I'm going to take out of you what needs to come out. And I'm going to put in you what needs to come in. It's through. There's no other way. There's no other way but through the relationships that God gives you. God will not promote you until he can trust you. And trust is proven by the way you handle the relationships he gives you. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13. It says the human body has many parts But the many parts make up only one body, and so it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free. But we have all been baptized into Christ's body by one spirit, and we have all received the same spirit. Listen, together, you and I make up the body of Christ. Each local church and every community around this nation, around the world, represent the body of Christ to their community. We are not made to survive apart from community. Let me say that again. There isn't a single one of us that have been made to survive apart from the community of the local church. How long will your ear continue to live if it is removed from your head? How many of you ever trimmed your fingernails? Have them little things ever continued to grow on the floor? No, because if they're
1: disconnected, they die. There's no longer life if it's disconnected. I'm not mad
0: at you. I hope you don't think I am. I'm just like, oh, man. I feel the Holy Ghost, man. Look at 1 Corinthians 12, 27, if we jump down in that chapter. Paul writes, now all of you together are Christ's body, and each one of you is a separate and necessary part of it. Look, this is, let me just give you a little bit of truth here, okay? Just as every human body pretty much has the same parts, every local church pretty much has the same parts. And so if you can't function with the relationships within the local body here, and you think that by jumping ship and going to another local body, guess what? You're going to find the same parts over there. You think, well, I don't need them in my life. They kind of rub me the wrong way. They're not a necessary part of the body. I'll go to another church where I don't have that thing that rubs me the wrong way. Guess what? That part of the body is there too.
1: It's not another church you need. It's to kill your pride. Did he just say that?
0: It. I did. I'm leaving. <laughs> no, 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 no. Believe me, this is not, that's not where it comes from. You guys know me. I love you. But listen, although you and I might think that we can do without somebody in this church,
1: We can't. They're necessary for us. Necessary
0: for us to be discipled and to be prepared for the commission that God has for you and I. The temptation to blame the local church is a very real and very powerful temptation. The temptation to say my problems are the church, are the people in that church. It's a real temptation. If it wasn't a real temptation, the Bible wouldn't say something so powerful as it does in Hebrews chapter 10. In Hebrews chapter 10, it says, Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage and warn each other, especially now that the day of his coming back again is drawing near. Think about it. Why would God inspire the writer of Hebrews to pin these words if we weren't tempted to back away from the relationships in the local
1: church? But God is saying, no, you need those people in your life. That person, like, look, uh, I'll just stick
0: to my notes. That'd be better for us all. Take note of this right here. We are to encourage and warn each other. So it's not just, man, look, you ought to receive more life, more encouragement. You ought to come in these doors every single Sunday and feel more pumped up and encouraged and challenged and equipped and full of power and, you know, like just Holy Ghost, just to go out there and, and let the kingdom of God be released everywhere you go. You ought to, you ought to experience that every single week. But we ought to not be shocked either if Within the relationships we have in this body, at times, someone comes up and says, hey, uh,
1: brother, I just got to I just got to warn you, man. Here's something I see. And it's not producing fruit. And we ought to, as disciples, as followers of Jesus. Be able to understand that
0: that comes from a heart of love that actually comes from the heart of our father who is trying to equip us to be more effective in his kingdom. And we ought to say, you know what? Thank you. I came thinking I needed encouragement today, but I realize now that I also needed warning. Because how many of you know we're not perfect? If we are perfect, I would have better dress socks than I'm wearing today.
1: Where were you warning me? Don't pack your dress socks. Come on, is this good? Is this okay?
0: Listen. We will not get the encouragement and the warning that we need in our lives if we're not rooted and grounded within a local church, the house of God, Bethel we'll not receive the most valuable encouragement or warnings of our lives if we're not plugged into a small group of believers. Everyone needs to have three or four close friends where anything can be shared without the fear of love being withdrawn. And and, and listen... It doesn't happen in the 15 minutes before service or the 15 minutes afterwards. It happens in a small group. Why do we plug life groups? Spring, summer, fall. Why? Because we want you to be encouraged and warned. There's things you do great that we want you to do even greater. There's things that you do that, and we want you to help walk away from those things. It's why I have people that I can call on the
1: phone and say, Man, do you see anything in me Help me. Change me. And they don't withhold
0: love. In fact, because they love, they, see, they say, as a matter of fact, if I were you, I wouldn't use that illustration the next time you preach that sermon. Didn't go over so well. Gotcha. One time I was preaching, I used boogers in the first service. I didn't use it in the second service. Because I got some honest feedback. They sharpened me. I'm thankful that I had that relationship within the house of God. That I was rooted and grounded enough in those relationships to know that whatever they told me, it was for my best. Are you hearing me this morning? It's in the safety of small trusting and loving life groups, small groups, intimate relationships, whatever you want to call them. It's in the safety of those relationships that God intends to perform some of his most delicate of surgeries on our hearts. And if you're not rooted and and grounded at Bethel, you're not going to be prepared for your commission. Proverbs 26, 27, 6 says wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. I once was at a a minister's conference uh, when I was young, when I was in seminary. And this guy speaking, he said... uh, he was talking about knowing who you are and, and be, being able to be honest and everything like that. And he said, listen, if one, if one person calls you a donkey, don't sweat it. He said, if two people walk up to you and say, man, you act like a donkey. He said, don't even bother paying them attention. He said, if three people call you a donkey, go buy a saddle.
1: Can I encourage you this morning? If one person says, hey, man, that was kind of arrogant, you might be able to just fluff it off. If two people say, hey, you know, I kind of see this attitude at times in your life. You might not need to pay attention. What if three people in your life say, hey, you smell that? That smells like pride. and It stinks. Take note, God in his loving way is using people
0: to disciple you to be more effective at bringing his kingdom to the earth. And that's what we're all about, right? At the end of the day, at the end of the day, do you want people to see you or see Jesus? What's a better picture? I've seen myself in the mirror. I'd rather see Jesus. Amen? That's kind of tense enough. Are we guys, are we ready to move on? I am. How can we prepare for our commission this week? How can we uh, get plugged into Bethel this week? Hey, go to a life group. How about this? Stop defending and justifying behaviors and listen to what the people who love you are telling you. How about this? How about we fight that trap of bitter
1: offense and work through the issue at hand? How about we value relationships above being right?
0: So that we can be rooted and grounded in Bethel, in the house of God, and be prepared to receive our commission. So we go from Gilgal, getting rid of old mindsets. We move to Bethel. We get rooted and grounded in the house of God. The next place that Elisha follows Elijah is to Jericho. Second Kings chapter 2. Verse 4, then Elijah said to Elisha, stay here for the Lord's told me to go to Jericho. But Elisha replied again, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I'll never leave you. So they went on together to Jericho. The group of the prophets from Jericho came to Elisha and asked him, did you know that the Lord's going to take your master away from you today? And, Quiet, he answered. Of course I know it. Different translation. Then Elisha said to Elisha, stay here for the Lord has told me to go to the Jordan River. Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. What does Jericho symbolize for you and I today? Jericho symbolizes this, getting into the battle. Getting into the battle. Uh, Spiritual warfare is represented by Jericho. This word Jericho, uh, all the studying I could do said it just possibly means a place of fragrance. So for today, it's the fragrance of battle. Jericho was the first place of battle that the Israelites went to as they crossed the Jordan River into the, into the promised land. Jericho represents our first spiritual battles that we fight as we come into the kingdom of God, as we, become, be, as we become believers, because everyone must learn how to grow in and engage in spiritual warfare. If we are to be disciples of Jesus Christ, followers of Him, then we are soldiers in His army if Jesus fought the devil, we should expect no less. Right? We are followers of Jesus. Not Christians, followers of Jesus. We don't fight for victory, we fight from victory. Now that can be like hard to learn, and I'll just be honest with you, I'm still learning how to do that, because most of the time my attitude is like, oh God, what are we going to do? I don't know if we're going to win, you know? And I'm learning, I'm learning, instead of thinking that I have to fight to win this thing, I'm learning to go to the Lord and say, Jesus, I know you defeated all of this at the cross. My question is, how do we apply your victory to this situation today? Teach me how to fight from victory over the situation I'm facing today.
1: That's spiritual warfare. It means this, it's saying, Lord, how do I enforce what you have already bought and paid for?
0: How do I, there's this thing, I, I was amazed when I first moved to Louisiana. You guys have ants in your yards. Lots of them. How many of you would raise your hand and say, I am bigger and stronger and more intelligent than an ant? I'm like, I'm not that prideful, but I'm prideful enough to say, I'm probably smarter than an ant anyone else you're smarter than an ant how many of you know though we have to constantly enforce our dominance over the ants in our yard right constantly enforcing am i superior to an ant i'd like to think so do i constantly have to work to enforce my superiority all the time that's what i'm talking about spiritual warfare Christ is superior. It's not a yin-yang thing. It's not God is here and then Jesus is here and Jesus' arch nemesis is the devil. And they're like, no, not at all. The Bible says that God has placed all things under Jesus' feet. Under. Brother Francis did that this morning. I thought it was just boom. Now listen to this. I don't care who you think you are in the body of Christ. If you think you're just a hair follicle, if you think you're a pinky nail, I don't think you, uh, it doesn't matter if you're the pinky toe. Guess what? If you're in Christ and all things are under Christ's feet, where does that place all things? Under you. So we're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. And every believer is called to engage in spiritual warfare. Jesus said in Matthew 6.10, when he was teaching us how to pray, he said, pray this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What he was saying is, the model Christian life is supposed to reflect the kingdom that we see God living in in heaven. So spiritual warfare is aimed at anything that does not reflect and represent the heart of God in this situation. Matthew 28, Pastor Todd has been teaching us this. It's the commission that Jesus gave. And he says in verse 18, I've been given complete authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go. It's spiritual warfare. He's saying enforce my authority everywhere we go. We have to learn how to fight at Jericho if we're going to embrace our commission. Because Jericho is just the first step. It's just the beginning. But be sure of this. As we pray, as we memorize scripture, as we tell others about the love of God, as we allow the Holy Spirit to change our attitudes and opinions, we are engaging in spiritual warfare. Is that not right? As my mind is being renewed, as I'm applying myself to the word of God, as, I, as I'm saying, okay, Lord, show me how to walk this out. I'm engaging in spiritual warfare because I'm beginning to operate in a different set of kingdom principles than what I was operating in before. When we draw lines in the sand for our health, for our families and our communities, we're beginning to engage in spiritual warfare. When we say, you know what, no longer is my family going to fight sickness and go to the doctor every cold and flu season. No more, no more, no more. We're drawing, that's engaging in spiritual warfare. It's taking a stand saying, either Jesus paid for it all,
1: or it paid for none of it all. Either I want to see it, or don't even talk to me about it. It's engaging in spiritual warfare. Listen, as we, as we, uh, where did that go? It's, that's exactly what it is. It's warfare. Here we are. As we sing,
0: as we give thanks, as we, as we, as we come to church. I know you guys all do this because I know this is an awesome church. As we come to church on Sunday mornings, as we're driving down the road, thinking about how incredible our church service will be today we are engaging in spiritual warfare. Our amazing Heavenly Father will not send us into battle before He prepares us in boot camp. And the most effective lesson that we can learn in regards to waging warfare is this. Listen, if you, if you get anything out of today, never forget this right here. This is the best way to, watch, to, to wage spiritual warfare. Watch, listen, and obey. In fact, can you say that with me? Say, watch, listen, obey. Let's do that one more time. Watch, Listen, obey. This is how Jesus waged warfare.
1: When the devil came to him in the wilderness, Jesus said, it is written, it is written, it is written. Right?
0: He watched what the Father was saying. He listened to what the Father was saying. He obeyed what the Father was saying. Oh no, I'm not going to worship anything but the Lord my God. I'm not going to put my God to the test. Watch, listen, obey. Jesus said again, uh, when people were questioning, like, why can you do what you do? And, and they didn't like him because he was just awesome. In John 5, 19, he said this, I only do what I see my father doing. And later on in verse 30, he said, I only say what I hear my father saying. So if Jesus did everything that he did that we read about, by watching what his father was doing, listening to what his father was saying, and then doing the same, wouldn't you say that if we engaged in spiritual warfare the same way, saying, Jesus, what do you say about this situation? What would you do about this situation? If we would just watch, listen, and then obey, would we not see the same results that Jesus encountered? I know it's simple, but it makes sense to me. I'm just a guy who forgets dress socks, but it makes sense to me. Spiritual Warfare 101, watch, listen, and
1: obey. When we walk across the parking lot of our church, I can call down God's presence. As I enter into this sanctuary, before service starts, I can give praise for the miracles
0: that are about to take place. As I sit down in my pew and get all comfortable, I can thank God for the message that he's put into Pastor Todd's heart because it's exactly what i need to hear and that's engaging in spiritual warfare isn't it come on how many of you ever been told all this message isn't for me you ever heard that voice it's warfare but when you say thank you father that word is for me you are waging spiritual warfare listen man we are not just called to fill a pew or fill an envelope or fill a parking space We are invited to get into the battle and fill this city with the presence of God. It doesn't require positions or salaries or a piece of paper on the
1: wall. All it takes is for us to watch and listen and obey. Listen, if we're going to call ourselves followers of Christ, disciples of Christ, we've got to be able to see Him. It means we've got to be getting close enough to Him. You know, it, I've told the interns this when I would teach them classes.
0: I told a lot of people this. I said, you know, the the, the thing about preaching is this: you're you're really
1: fifty two weeks a year. You're, you're you're trying to figure out how to how, how to say the same thing fifty two different ways. Why do we encourage warn and challenge, exhort, edify, build up? Spend time in prayer
0: so that you'll see Jesus. Why do we encourage people to get into the word? Spend time in the word daily. Why? So you can see Jesus. Why do we say, abandon yourselves in worship. It's okay if you do something that makes you feel a little uncomfortable. It's okay if if at first you just, you know, you just start
1: by carrying the TV. It's okay if you start there. It's okay if eventually, you know, you just work up to like, like hands halfway. It's okay. It's okay if making
0: if if going touchdown makes you feel uncomfortable. Because as you do those things, as you step out, what it's uh, it's, it's it's another way to to see Jesus, to experience Jesus.
1: And when you see him and see what he's doing, then you know what you yourself are supposed to go do. Why get up early before you go to work so that you can see what Jesus is going to do at your work today? I'm talking in the simplest things. Look, if, anything, if I've ever done anything good in counseling
0: or, or talking to people on the phone, it's because I'm telling you this is my method. I get an email,
1: Pastor Nick, so-and-so needs to call you. Oh, God. What am I going to say? Look, what am I going to say? Jesus I'm about to call this person. And what they really need is you. So help me with this phone call. Amen. Because I know if I can see him, and if I can do what he's doing, or tell others what I see him doing, their lives will be changed.
0: And that's the most effective way that we can wage our spiritual warfare. That's how we conquer our Jericho. Amen? Is this good? Are you getting something out of this? Listen, how do we learn to battle? Ask Jesus if you need to be ready for something unexpected at work tomorrow morning. How about this? The next time someone catches your attention, ask Jesus what he would say to them. I mean, it looks like this. Like, I mean, you ever stand in a crowd and you just like, somebody just catches your attention? Like, why do I find myself staring at them? And I'm not like, you know, not like when I was 15 and she was pretty and I was like, yeah, I knew I was staring at him. I'm talking like, you know, the God kind of, Why am I connected to that person? Last night at the football game, I'm on the sidelines and uh, it's right before halftime and this guy was standing next to me and and all of a sudden I was just like, man, I feel something. Like, what is it? And then I looked down, his leg's in a cast. I said, I know what Jesus would do in this situation. I said, hey man, what happened to your foot? He told me. I said, can I pray for him? Oh yeah, absolutely. I prayed for him right there, right before halftime, on the field. Why? Because that's what Jesus would do. When I read the Bible, I see Jesus doing... Good things, healing all, anyone. He wasn't afraid. So I know what to do. I'm waging spiritual warfare. I feel like I'm really beating this over the head, but are you getting it this morning? Because this is what prepares us to receive our commission. Jesus isn't coming back for a pastor who knows how to battle or an evangelist who knows how to witness or a teacher who can really lay it down. Jesus is coming back for a glorious church. A pure, spotless bride, a body of believers who know how to throw down, take names, and enforce the will of their father. Come on, that's good preaching. I like it, I would say, Amen. So, how do we start battling today in order to prepare for our commission? What can you do
1: today? Quit avoiding those issues that are difficult. Start with small goals. Start with small goals. God, if I can pray for five minutes today, that's
0: more than no minutes. Ask Jesus to, for just one thing to believe for today. Jesus, what's, what's just one thing I could believe you for today? How about this? Help out at a block party. How about how about serving the children's ministry so that a parent can come in here and hear the, pre- the preaching of the word? Just an idea, just
1: a thought. How about show up early to make th- make sure things look clean at your church? I better move on. Jesus, I better move on. Last thing. Last thing.
0: I love you guys. You know I love you guys, right? I'm I'm, I'm not trying to make enemies as I go out of here. I'm trying to prepare us for more.
1: I'm trying to prepare family life for more. Number four, the fourth place that Elisha followed Elijah was the Jordan.
0: They went to the Jordan. I won't even read it. You know, we read it. He struck the waters it parted and they went over together. The fourth thing that we need to do in order to prepare to receive our commission is to get down and stay down. Get down and stay down. The word Jordan means a descending or a going down. For us today, it symbolizes our need to live in true humility. You see, this victory is sweet, but without crossing the Jordan, we won't be able to sustain our victory.
1: Nothing needs to fall faster or farther than our pride. Sadly, I think I'm stealing this thing from Pastor Brandon is where I heard it, but pride is usually the first thing to show and the last thing to go. And as an individual, as a family, As a local church, we've got to learn to walk in true humility.
0: And so the question must be asked, what is true humility? True humility is this. It is only thinking about yourself the
1: way that God thinks about you. That's true humility. Only thinking about yourself the way that God thinks about you.
0: If I think higher of myself than God thinks of me, I'm not walking in humility. If I think lower of myself, than God thinks about me. I'm not walking in true humility. Philippians two five says this, Let this same attitude and purpose and humble mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. He was our model of true humility. Do we ever read about him going around saying, Doggone it, I'm just not good enough. I'm just not smart enough. I always mess it up. We don't read that about Jesus. Jesus modeled freedom because he knew what God thought about him and he just simply received it. He simply received it. Look, uh, man, a, a while back, Emily will tell you this. Man, I was, I, was, I was fighting the devil. I was fighting the devil. I was fighting the devil. And it looked like this. Seemed like all day long, nonstop. I heard this in my mind. Dude, you are such a dirt
1: bag. You're such a dirt bag for what you've done in your past. Dude, you are a dirt bag. Dirty, impure dirt bag. I'm like, no,
0: I'm not. But it was so strong. I was crying myself to sleep at night at times saying, God, I know this is not how you think about me. I know that my past is redeemed. I know that I am covered in the blood. And I refuse to buy into this lie that I am a dirtbag. That
1: is not who I am. I am not a dirtbag. And it is not cocky or arrogant to say that.
0: Because that's how my father thinks about me. And that is true humility. And a church that can walk in true humility can be entrusted with greater and greater victories. James 4.10, it's the invitation from God. It says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. I like this translation, James 4.10 in the New Living. When you bow down before the Lord and admit your dependence on him, he will lift you up and give you honor. In the kingdom of God, maturity in Christ is measured by our level of dependence upon him. The greater your dependence upon God, the greater your spiritual maturity. The less dependent we are, the more immature we are. True humility and complete dependence upon God are the sustainers of momentum. How do I get down and stay down? How do I cross the Jordan? How do I walk in true humility? I never back away from God's process. Don't ever back away from his process. When he confronts an old mindset, drop it like it's hot.
1: We needed to lighten it up a little bit, you know?
0: When he says... I've called you to live in relationship with the people within this church. I'm telling you, you've got to work it out. Figure it out. Kill your pride. Change your opinions. Whatever it takes. Value relationship above being right. And stay plugged into the house of God. It's his process. Learn to wage your spiritual warfare. There are things... Look. The Bible says one can put a thousand to flight. There are some things that I am equipped to do by God in and of myself. I can wage spiritual warfare up to about a thousand. After that, I need two. Then we take on 10,000. But it's still warfare, right? We got, it's just process. And then stay, stay humble by saying, Lord, I know that yesterday you gave me a great victory, but is there anything I need to do different today? I love David. He listened for the Lord. And one time the Lord said, set up an ambush and go around this way. And he said, okay. And when he went to fight him again, instead of just doing what he did before, he stayed humble. He stayed to the process. He said, God, what about today? And he said, no, no, today, listen for the sound of marching in the mulberry trees. And then go, hey, God, I'm just going to watch, listen, and obey. It's this process. And when you go through this process, it prepares you to receive and embrace the anointing. Elisha knew this, and I close with this. Thank you guys for giving me extra time, really. I close with this. See, Elisha knew that Elijah was about to go, but he knew that Elijah was also going to leave something behind. And in the last few weeks leading up to this Sunday, I've been thinking so much about just God's timing, about what he's doing with family life, this church that I love. You're my family. I've thought about Brother Brad going on to glory. But I've thought about what has he left behind? I've thought about me. God's God's giving me a new assignment. He's he's moving us to Boise, Idaho. But what, what am I leaving behind? Elisha recognized that if I stick around Elijah long enough, when he goes, there's still a need for the nation to have a representation of a God of power. The the nation of Israel is still going to need the anointing of God to bring signs and wonders and direction and guidance because they're like sheep without a shepherd. And as I've been thinking about family life, church, Lord, this place that I love... What is left? What mantle? Whatever I have that's on me. what Anything good that God you've put in me. God, I want to lay it on this altar. And give you the same invitation that Elijah gave to Elisha. He said, if you'll go through the process to prepare for your commission, there will be a mantle that you can pick up. Because there's still a need for men and women to serve Pastor Todd and Miss Tanya. There's still a need for someone to walk in power and authority in this city. And not that we're not, but you know what I'm saying. There's still a need. There's still a need. Listen, Pastor Brandon can't preach every Wednesday night. Pastor Rob can't preach every Wednesday night. There's not enough youth leaders for Pastor Elijah. There's not enough life groups. Come on, is there? Is, is two services cutting it to reach Lafayette? It's 20 some odd life groups. Is it doing it? Is it winning the city? I'm telling you. There are anointings and mantles that whomsoever will can pick up. Whomsoever will. And this is what blows my mind. God is so good. He's so faithful to the people he loves. Elisha said, I want a double portion. What that means is this. In the Jewish culture, if, if, if a man had four sons, he would take his estate and divide it into five equal portions. And the oldest son would inherit a double portion. God is so good and so kind and he loves this church so much that whatever is on me, whatever was was on Brother Brad, I'm telling you God has divided it. He has spread it out. And he has said, whomsoever will, if you want to burn, if you want to see this city rocked by God, you can come and pick it up because I will multiply it. I will spread it out. Everyone's got an opportunity in his kingdom. See, in the Old Testament, you are limited to whatever your kids plus one. But in the new covenant, all of us, all of us, are the tabernacle of God all of us are the temple of the Holy Spirit all of us are filled with all of the gifts at any moment, at any time and whomsoever will say God you can break me out of old mindsets God you can root me and plug me into the house of God Lord you can teach me how to warfare you can teach me how to walk humble God I will embrace it you can receive all that and more this is my challenge if I could leave you with anything today If I were to come back a year from now, I don't want to see the same numbers in two services. I don't want to see the same number of life groups. I don't want to see the same people on the worship team. Why? Because I want to see the kingdom multiplying. I want to say, Pastor Todd, tell me what's going on in Lafayette. I had a bad week in Boise. I need some encouragement. I want to hear him saying, oh my goodness, we had 150 people saved through three or four services this weekend. I'm looking at hiring on more staff. I've empowered. i got lay pastors coming out the wazoo. Why? Because people are embracing and anointing. They realize they've been commissioned to reach this city, and they're not stopping. I don't have to come up with ideas people are coming up saying I want to do this I want to do that and all I'm saying is go do it in the grace of God and we are shaking Lafayette to its knees I'm going to say can I come back can I come give me some of that can I come pick up some of that multiply it and divide an anointing and take it back to my city to my people to my mandate to my mission Come on, he's trying to prepare us. He's trying to prepare us for a great commission. And he wants us to embrace the anointing. Who's willing? Who's willing? It's not done by a raising of the hands, it's done by a surrendering of the Spirit. I challenge you. I challenge you.
1: Prepare for your commission. Embrace your anointing. Amen? Amen. Amen.